Hello everyone, um, welcome to Remember the Film. Uh, this week we're talking about our Tarantino rankings, um, but I'm coming to you from the future uh, in post-production to tell you that uh, we actually went really long with this episode because we got really excited about talking uh, about talking about these movies. And so the episode is over two hours long and we decided to split it in two parts. So you'll get the first part this week and the next part next week. Um, but enjoy the show, it's a fun discussion. Hello, and welcome to Remember the Film, the podcast where we talk about movies and all the things that make them memorable. I'm once again joined by Hugo Panay and Josh Bradley. How great is this weekend, guys? What is a, a good one. weekend, Grizz. Woo! Woo! Yes! <laughs> Josh going full nature boy <laughs> on us here. <laughs> and and it, the main reason why it's great is because uh, a college won uh you know a college football game that's Notre my, Dame my that's reason. why it's great hugo <laughs> i i care so much about yes. it it just makes me so happy <laughs> and you know it, it really changed my week I, I was in a bad mood because of being quarantined and all but then notre dame won and i'm like yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> it's almost like the last four years are now worth it because notre dame beat clemson fellas <laughs> yeah yeah Woo! i mean <laughs> yes well obviously other big things happened this weekend and you know, it's <laughs> yes. been a very exciting weekend, just just in general. But uh, today, our film to remember is Jackie Brown, and we're going to do a little deep dive discussion on Quentin Tarantino's third trip as the sole director of a theatrically released movie. A lot of caveats to make that his third movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we're going to do our deep dive on that, and then after that, uh, we're going to go into our topic. Uh, which I know Josh and Hugo are thoroughly excited for, as Quentin Tarantino is among their very favorite directors. Uh, thoroughly, yes. And uh, we're going to just go ahead and, and discuss Tarantino a bit in general, uh, our thoughts on on him and his, and his movies, and then we're going to do our ranking of Quentin Tarantino's filmography. And we'll go through and rank them. We're going to give you our rankings individually. And then we'll have we'll tally it all up, and we'll have the remember the film official Tarantino rankings, which I'm sure we are all very excited for. <laughs> very, very. There will excited. be dissent. There will be dissent because you know because that's how this works. It's one of those. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those directors that his movies are so iconic, but at the same time, you know, controversial, and you can like them for different reasons, and so it. it, it I, I know a lot of people have very different opinions on what the best from Tarantino is and why, and because people like also, them for different reasons. And so I'm, I'm very, very curious to see. I'm, I'm curious to see how the ages stack up too, because like I feel like a lot of these movies, it depends on your age when you come to them. And like for like Grizz and myself, we're a few years older than you, Hugo. Like we saw these as they came out, presumably, and you like discovered them after the fact. So I wonder if that's gonna like affect. Well, I have uh, I have interesting stories about that, but we'll, well get into right, it cool. after. And I'll be Jack honest. Brown. Yeah, the, the, for me. Uh, I mean, I guess we'll get it, we'll get into it more later. But I did not watch all of these when they came out. I've watched a lot of them as I mean, they came either. out. But <laughs> right. All Same. right. Well, so let's get into our film to remember. Uh, we're going to talk Jackie Brown. Um, let me go and pull that up on there. Uh, so we're going to again, like like we did last time, do a brief spoiler free. What are your thoughts? And then we'll we'll start ruining the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so I think the first thing we should talk about is why we chose, of all the Tarantino movies, why we chose Jackie Brown. And I feel like 
our reasoning behind it was it, it's one of the most the the, the most you know oversee overlooked, overlooked yeah. movies. It's 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 one of those it's movies discussed, that yeah. Yeah, it's one of the movies that sort of gets gets lost in the shot in, in the group of all this the crazy over the top Tarantino movies because it's it, it is quite different compared to a lot of his movies and um, I think it went under the radar when it came out and it still does today and so I thought it was it was an interesting pick to talk about because it's but it it didn't get the critical acclaim that his previous two movies did uh, when it yeah. came out but I think. You know, like we've seen with some other things that that could be related to uh, expectations for what the movie would be. Absolutely. And, and I, I I I really liked Jackie Brown. I I you know I I think it's fantastic. Uh, and is it a quintessential Tarantino experience? Well, that that might be a little more up for debate. But I I think that it was definitely underrated uh, when it came out, and and as such, that's probably why. It's like we're talking about. A lot of people haven't seen Jackie Brown before now. I, I hadn't seen it before this week, and I'm really, really happy we, we chose this one. But to, to your point, though, Grace, I think it actually, you know, when it came out, people may have been a little disappointed after following Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. But, like, looking at it 20 years later, in the totality of Tarantino's filmography, I think its critical assessment has risen a fair amount as people look at his filmography as a whole and they see this one and, when you're not comparing it to only Reservoir Dogs and only Pulp Fiction, it, it it's a little bit of a different take on the movie, I think. And that's, again, you know, that's why we're talking about it now, too. But yeah, so yeah. so we, how do we feel about it? Well, like I said, I, I, I thought it was fantastic. Grace said he loved yeah. it. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. It's really good. And I yeah. actually, uh, I read I read Rum Punch, which is the Elmore Leonard novel it's based on, uh, like, a couple months ago. So I have Elmore Leonard's words in my head in addition to Tarantino's and it it's still good. Like I'd seen it before I read the book and then I watched it again after I read the book. It's, it's still great. Yeah. To me, this is definitely by far the most underrated Tarantino film. And I think it's uh, very different from the rest of his work, but is fantastic. I think it's one of the, probably the most heartfelt of his movies. It's, it's completely character driven compared to some of the some of the other movies that have you know the, the, the characters are always really important in tarantino films but you know the other movies are driven by action by really interesting set pieces by even just the way scenes are laid out in these other movies they feel like set pieces even if there is an action going on and this movie is it's sort of more traditional compared to that's to, exactly to the, the word i would work. use for it it's, it's a it's a but, more traditional movie is film. Is this the only is this the only Tarantino movie with like a romance in the middle of it? I can't think of any other I mean, romances. Yeah, in any I mean there's Tarantino romance in, in other ones, but the, not well, to this extent. In Django. There yeah, but but like you don't get you don't yeah, get okay. to see the romance play out in in Django like you do in Jackie Brown. Yeah. And which and is yeah. It is it is a crime drama. It but it's a crime drama that doesn't feel like the other crime movies that Tarantino has made. The, the focus isn't necessarily just on the crime action but it's more on the relationship between the characters and what the characters are going through which is quite different for a tarantino film it might be a bit jarring when you compare it to pulp fiction and reservoir dogs if you're expecting that but if you look at it on its own merits it's i think it's a fantastic film josh you had something you wanted to add um I was just going to say that actually we'll talk about like the differences between the book and the movie later, but like in the book, the romance is actually a bigger mm. plot point. Like in the movie, 
it kind of danced around and then it kind of pays off at the end but like it's like it's integrated more into the story as it's as it's happening in the book which is interesting that again now that i'm thinking about it there's so little romance in tarantino movies that he like downplayed the source material romance even in this Mm, one yeah i i thought it was a more subtle romance like leaving you kind of wondering like is this are they actually into each other uh and so you get to, like you said, you get to see that play out. I, I think it actually makes it more interesting than uh, a romance you might find in another movie, not necessarily another Tarantino movie, but like just other movies in general, because you, it's not overt. Uh, so I actually kind of really appreciate well, that. One side of the romance is overt. Like, you know, he right. does the a big hold on Robert Forster's face as yeah, soon no, as he sees yes. Jackie Brown, a song starts playing. Yeah. So we know his, yeah. we know, we know uh, Max Cherry's view very clearly, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. but you, you yes. don't get to you don't necessarily know how how Jackie's feeling. But let's go right. ahead and get into our spoiler discussion. Uh, yeah, let's do a plot rundown. Oh, actually, go ahead. Josh. One last thing. One last thing before we go into spoilers. Oh, I meant to give the fun facts before the spoilers last time. Uh, All right. So let's let's let me do this real quick. Uh, budget twelve million estimated. Opening mm-hmm. weekend was nine million two hundred nine. Yeah, nine million two hundred ninety-two thousand two hundred forty-eight dollars. It's a really solid opening weekend. Definitely coming off of uh, Tarantino's previous successes. It's very obvious uh, why why people would go out to see this one. Uh, the uh, gross for the movie was thirty-nine million six hundred seventy-three thousand one hundred sixty-two. So way above the budget. So you know this was a moneymaker. Even even if it didn't get the critical acclaim. Uh. <laughs> it was but at the same well, time the... if you look at if you look at it compared to pulp fiction because pulp fiction was the film where he exploded into the public consciousness and pulp fiction made something like 200 million 214 million dollars on a 9 million budget 8 9 million budget yeah so in that sense it did feel like a setback for him at the time even yeah. though you know and... on average it, it you know it made enough money to make its money back and and then make so. a good profit well, the rule <laughs> still well, th- that's the thing is the rule of thumb for Hollywood accounting is two and a half times the budget because yes. the budget doesn't inc- account for like uh, advertising and all that kind of stuff. So like right. multiply the budget not by two and a half and that's usually what the break even point is. That Not exactly. But that's like the rule of thumb. So this barely hit that. It's over it though. Not by much. <laughs> it, is it is over it. Like it made, it made, I would say for a, for an original crime drama that cost $12 million, it made a decent amount of money. But coming off of the success of Pulp Fiction, it, it, it does feel like a bit of a disappointment, you know, because 200 million is is a crazy number. If you think about, you know, the fact that Tarantino was this indie director who had made one film that was on a very limited budget and then he exploded. And then, you know, this movie comes out and at the end of the day, it makes what one fifth of what, what that movie had made. Right. Josh, so. you had uh, you had. That that look on your face that said I need to correct someone. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say that Hugo said that this made a fair amount of money for a, an original crime drama. Maybe in 2020 terms, this made a good amount of money for original crime drama. But in 1997, mm. I think this is actually a pretty disappointing box office because like original crime dramas were more common 20 years ago oh, than yeah, they are today. You know, and I don't know. 
maybe the bo- the box office standards were different then. Like, yeah, if an original crime, dra- crime drama came out now and made $40 million, we'd be like, okay, cool. But back then, maybe not less so. Yeah, I guess so. I hadn't thought about it that way. That is true. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like it, it wouldn't have been considered as much of a disappointment as it has been considered if it didn't come off, you know, that major success. That's what, I, you know, what I mean. Well, some other... Uh, interesting factoids, as we already mentioned, this it was an adaptation of Elmore Leonard's Rum Punch. Uh, a fun fact, uh, Tarantino's production company also purchased the rights to two other Elmore Leonard books, uh, Freaky Deaky and Killshot. And, uh, and Tarantino wasn't sure which one he wanted to make a movie out of. He knew he wanted to make one of them. <laughs> uh, other, uh, another interesting... Cameo by my cat. Jackie's last name. Oh, yes. We have cat action. <laughs> Jackie's name in the book uh, was Jackie Burke. Is that that's, that correct, uh, Josh? Yeah, and she's and she's a white woman, and mm-hmm. the story takes place in Florida. So yeah, yeah. big switch there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, happened that. For but uh, he, he. Yeah, he Reservoir Dogs. We'll talk about Pam. We can talk about Pam Greer later, but she comes up in Reservoir Dogs. Right. Well, so that if you, you know, they changed. Uh, her name in the movie to Jackie Brown in an homage to Pam Greer's uh, character, Foxy Brown, in the movie Foxy Brown. <laughs> uh, and then uh, another interesting thing with Pam Greer and also with Robert Forster, they had both auditioned previously uh, for other Tarantino movies. Uh, Greer had uh, auditioned for the role of Jody, the drug dealer's wife in Pulp Fiction. And ultimately, right. they did not go with her because. Uh, Eric Stoltz, who was cast as the drug dealer, has to be very rude to his wife. And Tarantino mm. just thought it would look ridiculous to see Eric Stoltz being rude to Pam Greer. <laughs> and not just rude, but like really, you know, rude. <laughs> yeah, horrible. <laughs> uh, and then uh, in for Forster, the, he had auditioned for the role of Joe Cabot in Reservoir Dogs, uh, which right. I think would have been made for a very different take <laughs> on the character. And I think Tarantino saw that as well. I was like, okay, this isn't what I wanted, but he had told, told him that he, I promise there's, I'm going to use you eventually. And he made good. He made good on, on both for both the uh, main actors here. And then the and last fact I just wanted to Oscar share was that this, Ordell's yeah. Ordell's uh, appearance is, was completely decided by Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's the reason. That's the reason. <laughs> Because <laughs> okay, it was for me. It was the second time that I saw this movie. Actually, I think the third time. And since I already knew what was going on, I started looking at different details that I might not have noticed the first few times. And every time Sam Jackson speaks, I just see that weird beard thing that he has going on, just waggling, <laughs> and it looks hilarious. Very often. But anyway, okay. Well, so yeah. now we can, let's go into our spoilers discussion. So, Josh, do you want to give us a quick rundown of the plot? Yeah, sure. So, uh, I guess we begin with Ordell Roby, who is played by Sam Jackson. He's like an arms dealer in Los Angeles. And part of his operation is he gets... His his money is all in Mexico, in Cabo. And he has Jackie Brown, played by Pam Greer. She's a flight attendant. Uh, She flies to and from Cabo all the time as part of her job. So, she discreetly brings his money in from Cabo into Los Angeles, uh, you know, $50,000 at a time. And uh, she gets stopped by ATF agents, uh, played by Michael Bowen and uh, Michael Keaton. 
<laughs> Michael Bone? I don't know. Regardless, Michael Keaton. And um, she has to kind of cut a deal with the ATF ag- agents and with Ordell and kind of play both sides against each other and try to figure out how to stay out of jail and stay alive because, you know, ATF agents want to put her in jail and Ordell Roby wants to kill her so she doesn't rat on him. And uh, she gets the help from Max Cherry, who's a bail bondsman, played by Robert Forster. And uh, he takes kind of a shine to Jackie when he bails her out of jail. And I think she probably detects that and uses that to her advantage. And um, I guess we can talk about how much Jackie is playing Max Cherry or not playing Max Cherry. But regardless, Max Cherry helps Jackie uh, in her scheme to in her 4D chess scheme against Ordell and the ATF agents. And um, ultimately, Jackie has a scheme that makes her get away with Ordell's money and uh, gets her off scot-free with the ATF. Is that good? Yes, and, the, guys and, and Yeah, I think that's good for the plot. But And basically, the film ends with this uh, big uh, set piece inside a mall, which is yeah. where the whole, the whole plan for this heist goes down and and you, you see it from different points of view and at different times yeah. and it's really interesting because you you get the whole plot unraveled and because Classic there's a planning phase there's switch. a planning phase for this plan but you you never get the details and you only see them unravel at the very end and so it, it gets really exciting there's a lot of there's a lot of moments in the movie whether she's talking to the ATF agents or talking to Max Cherry or talking to Ardell but there's a lot of moments where Someone will say, here's the plan, and then it cuts yes. away and it cuts. to the end of their conversation such that you don't hear their plan until you see it actually play out. And I don't know. I really like that. I love that's, that. That's, that's, that's fun shit. Yeah. Yes. It was fantastic. It, it doesn't it, reveal it, any, any information before you need to know it. Right. And, yeah, it and to your you point, an Hugo. Idea, but not completely. Right. And to your point, Hugo, you know, in the big mall set piece where there's like, a, you know, classic bag switches and, 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 you know, reversals and double crossings, like as you're seeing it play out for the first time, you know, Jackie is kind of freaking out and you're not sure why she's freaking out because you're not sure what the plan actually is. And it's yeah. not until you see it a second time in like a Rashomon kind of style that you're like, oh, she was just, this was all part of the plan. It actually went perfectly for her. Yes. Acting really, really well. Great I stuff. bought it. <laughs> great stuff. <laughs> I was like, wait. Yeah, and the first time you wait, see it, this appears no to be going wrong. Why, why is it going wrong? <laughs> what, what's happening? Oh, no, it's going fine. <laughs> oh, and, and I love the the whole um, section in the mall. I love the way it is shot because it's always the point of view of the character that you're seeing it through. Because you, you, see basically, you basically see the same action happening three times. Uh, one time from the point of view of Jackie, one time from the point of view of Max Cherry, who's helping her, and one time from the point of view of uh, Robert De Niro's character, who's uh, Lewis, who is this yeah. this white guy who Ordell helped to get out of jail. Well, I think they were friends, and then he was in jail, and he got out of jail, and they became partners in this crime. And so you yeah, see Ordell's the, put see him to this, work, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, you know, yeah, he's giving him some work, basically. And it, it, it's really fun to see the same thing play out three times and it it's the way it's shot changes every time because when it's pam's well sorry not pam obviously not pam when it's jackie's turn to be the point of view character is when you really have no idea what's actually going on and so it's really frantic right. and there's this really cool tracking shot 
of her running through them all and getting more and more worried but you always see her face and so it's this really cool tracking shot that goes through the whole mall and then she goes to the police and he's and they, she starts shouting oh my god i lost the money and i have no idea what happened and 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 then the whole plot unravels and you find out that she was actually acting and she got away with all the money but let's talk about, I think, the best part about this film is the characters and how good these Agreed. actors are to playing these specific characters. Yeah, I mean, for sure. That, that's my favorite part of this movie is that every, there's, every character is well executed. I don't think there was a, a, I don't think they messed up anywhere in the casting on this. It, you know, every single one brings something... Uh, unexpected from what I would have yeah. thought they would do. Like I, I'm used to seeing Robert De Niro as, you know, a tough guy, a, a smart guy, and yeah. it, he is just kind of a bum, hapless. <laughs> yeah, he's hapless, a, he's empathetic a, in this. Yeah, he's a bumbling idiot. Yeah, he's a bumbling yeah. idiot who has no idea what he's doing and, all of the time. It actually made him humorous, and you're, and as you're not used yeah. to seeing Robert De Niro. In that kind of role, it, it, that was really, really fun. Obviously, Samuel L. Jackson is awesome in this role. Amazing. He, yeah. He basically, I and mean, he clearly created Ordell. He, <laughs> I don't know what was in the book, but Ordell was just oozes Samuel L. Jackson's charms. <laughs> as I was reading the book, you know, last month, I, I couldn't not picture Samuel Jackson as I was reading. <laughs> Uh, as I was reading Ordell, and like he he is Ordell in my mind, and it, that wasn't necessarily true for every character, but I couldn't not picture him. So uh, this is one of my favorite Sam Jackson performances for sure. And then he I... is though I will say he is a bit heightened compared to the other characters because compared to I'll say compared to the the other Tarantino films, most of the characters are quite understated. You know, they're they're sort of more realistic than what you would see in a Pulp Fiction or in a Kill Bill or, or in most of his other movies, where mm. everything is a little bit over the top. This one is sort of a bit more muted and more subtle. Um, and, and there were moments where Sam Jackson, who is Sam Jackson, who is one of my favorite actors to watch, just be insane on screen. But it did feel sometimes that he was just ever so slightly too over the top for me compared yeah. to the other characters. See, to me, that read like he was... He he could be over the top. He can be a little crazy because he knows he's getting away with it. He knows he's winning. Yeah, yeah. So you know he doesn't mind being being obviously fake or disingenuous because he knows mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do about it. Especially when he's dealing with Max Cherry. You know all those conversations. It's it's clear Ordell, you know, doesn't care that Max Cherry is going to pick up on on something from him because he's like whatever, man. It doesn't matter that I'm that you know I'm a criminal. <laughs> I'm going to get right. away with it. Well, I, I think that, to your point, Hugo, I think that Ordell is the most Tarantino-esque character in this. Sure. And the other characters, like you said, are a little bit more understated than you normally see. But, you know, Ordell is the guy who's usually chewing the scenery and really talking more than anybody else and, and you know, being quippy and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Do we think that this is the least Tarantino-esque movie overall? Yes. In his filmography, probably... Yes, because well, it, it's the what, most, you know, it's, what do we it's th the what, most understated, for sure. Tarantino-esque to me means uh, very talkative characters, long scenes of dialogue, uh, 
violence for sure like kind of shocking violence and also uh non-linear structure uh we get some talkiness in this mostly out of ordell but not as much out of other characters i think it's a little less violent than at least pulp fiction reservoir dogs like a few people get killed but less violent but the violence is realistic correct it's not yeah tarantino movies there's a lot of violence but where it, it is parody it looks like parody yes. it looks fake like it's he wants yeah. you to know that you're watching a movie yeah and i mean I, I, I re- it, it we'll, looks a lo- little more realistic I, I, we'll we'll talk about Django later but i rewatched Django unchained the other day and like just i'm thinking about the scene where like the the blood sprays over the cotton and like it's so gratuitous you, yeah. you don't get that here in fact like when 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 robert de niro shoots bridget fonda like it's off screen more or less yeah. and, like you don't even mm-hmm. see it and you know, uh, and when when uh, Ordell shoots Beaumont, it's from a long shot from 50 yards away, so you don't see anything there either. Um, but also, like there there is still a little bit of nonlinearity in this, in that you see mul- mm-hmm. the same thing from multiple perspectives, but not as much, not nearly as much as Pulp Fiction or Reservoir Dogs, the two movies before this. Yeah, I no, mean, overall I the film is pretty linear. It it's not it's not what you would have been expecting going in, probably having seen the previous two Tarantino movies. And I think in that regard, every movie after that, you know, goes back more towards what he did in Pulp Fiction and what he did in Reservoir Dogs yeah. than Jackie Brown. So in that regard, yeah, I, I definitely like, think it's the least Tarantino-esque. Because <laughs> I feel like at that point in his career, he he wanted to show that he could just direct a very good traditional movie. He, he didn't want to be pigeonholed into being just the guy who does the really hyper-violent and non, non-linear movies, you know? It, it, I think, and maybe it didn't work out for him at the time, but I think he was successful. I think he showed, and I think he did it again with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but we can talk about that later. I agree. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the, the parallels between those two movies in a bit, but this mm-hmm. is also uh, his only adaptation, isn't it? It's only his, his only non-original movie. I'm re- not realizing. I believe so. Isn't it? I, I Grizz is think thinking. So? I'm, th- I'm, I'm working um, my way through it. Well, um, you know, it's uh, it's a little. I mean, as far as true adaptation, I think you're right. Uh, yeah, he yeah. definitely does well, a lot of uh, homage in other movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. That. He, well, we talked last week about how the hate blade is unbelievably like the thing. Right. It <laughs> is some, to the yeah, point that I crazy. hadn't even realized. Um, but and, uh, you know, Django brought, is a remake. So you could it kind of a exactly. remake though. It's completely different from the original. It's completely but, different. Know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but well, like when when you talk, when, I mean, like in the end credits or the opening credits, it doesn't say like adapted from so and so film. Correct. But this one actually does say adapted from the novel Rum Punch by Elmore Leonard. And uh, yes. I probably should have mentioned this at the during the fun fact section, but actually Tarantino has given several interviews where he talks about the influences on his dialogue and his writing, and he cites four influences on his dialogue and writing. Number one, Elmore Leonard. Not surprising, because he mm-hmm. adapted this book. Number two, Paddy Chayefsky, the great screenwriter. Number three, um, Richard Pryor, of all people. Okay. The stand-up comedian. I can, I can see that. And then, uh, number, yeah, and then number four, David Mamet, who's a great playwright yeah. and also has very pitter-patter dialogue. So the mm-hmm. fact that, like, of all the, of his four biggest influences, the one adaptation he he's done in his career would be an Elmore Leonard Lano. That, that makes sense to me. Okay, well. It does, it does, I guess. And I can also see the Richard Pryor thing because his comedy is is it's not so different, you know. I agree completely. 
Hey, well, let's, let's anyway, add, so... get to our last question regarding uh, Jackie Brown. Uh, we're going to rank all of our films to remember. So, Jackie Brown, is it better than The Thing? <laughs> it's an odd question because they're so different. That's a really that's odd question. That's what makes it fun. <laughs> but for me personally, I say no. Just because I think within the genre of Jackie of Jackie Brown, there are so many great movies that I think are better than Jackie Brown, even though I like Jackie Brown. I do think Jackie Brown, you know, sort of drags a little bit in the middle. That second act does go on where they're planning, but they're not actually showing you what they plan, which is cool, but it does go on a little long. And I think the thing is such a great, one and a half, one an hour, one hour and forty minute film. It gets in there, it tells its story, and it, it's I'm so I'm going to provide effective. a counter argument, if I may. Yep. Okay. I think that the characters in Jackie Brown are so much better across it's the board. It's not even close. That to me, that makes it a better movie. I, I care about the characters enough to remember their names in this movie. And that yeah. could not be said of the vast majority of characters in the thing. They are but eminently feel, but replaceable. I like we should, <laughs> but I feel like we should judge a movie based on what it's trying to achieve. Yeah. You know what I, I mean? I think that the, the character names are not the point of the thing. And in fact, yeah. that, you know, like Hugo said, assess the movie on its own terms. And mm. I, I'm, I, I, I kind of agree with both of you, actually, for my, yeah. for myself. I think that my personal taste would have me choose Jackie Brown over the thing for the most part but if i'm trying mm-hmm. to kind of step back outside of myself I, I i think the thing is like really great execution of a really great concept and maybe i'm letting its reputation as one of the great sci-fi horror movies of all time influence me but i, I gotta go with the thing as well okay well, even so if that, like that's right that's two votes for the thing so but so it's, it's complicated ranking, it's complicated our official ranking of the films to remember so far goes number one the thing and number two jackie brown and we'll see what happens. If you ask me, if you ask me on any given day, would you rather watch Jackie Brown or The Thing today? I'd probably choose Jackie Brown, but I, I probably know. would too. I'm, I'm going with The Thing. Yeah, but you know, it's just because I'm I, I like the genre more, not necessarily. Because I appreciate I your counter argument, though, Grizz. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. we are moving on to our main topic of the show: our Tarantino rankings. Hooray! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> so let me go ahead and flip over to that screen now here we go so basically the way we're going to do the ranking is um we're going to go one by one everybody's going to say their number nine number nine number nine number eight number eight number eight and so on um each movie is going to get uh, basically a score uh, so if i put a movie at number nine that movie will get one point and if a movie is gets a number one it will get nine points and then we'll tally up the scores and come up with the definitive list and uh, I think Josh suggested the way uh, we should discuss each movie, so he he might want to say it for us. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll go reverse chronological, or not reverse chronological, but, you know, start with number nine down to one. And yep. uh, if if I'm about to, if I have a movie at number eight, and Hugo, you have it at number four, then we will save our discussion for it. I'll say that it's my number eight, and then we'll save our actual, like, deep dive, not deep dive, but, you know, our discussion yep. until it comes up later in your list. So we, so that way we can eat, we can discuss each movie just once and we don't repeat ourselves too much. Yes, yes, and we'll discuss it in the context of 
whoever has it highest on their list. Yes. Okay. Well, so then I will kick us off with my what? number Real nine. Oh, no. up, up, up. Go ahead. Up, up. Is Kill Bill one movie or two movies? Kill Bill is one movie. Kill Bill is one movie because Quentin Tarantino says Kill Bill is one movie. I agree. Yes. Uh, I defer to the filmmaker, not the studio. Right. And I agree. Although although there's an interesting reason why it was split. Uh, because it, it's not just studio pressure. It's also because Tarantino got to keep all of his sequences into the movie. Because they asked him first to do one movie and cut a lot of stuff. And... He, he sort of bargained a way to keep everything in. So, for example, the, the anime sequence wasn't going to be in the movie it was if, it, if they released it mm. as one movie. So, you know, but still, I do, I do agree that, you know, if he considers it one movie, we should consider it one movie in our ranking. I think that all of it is predicated on he said he only wanted to make 10 movies, so Kill Bill has to be one. <laughs> that's, that's another reason, I guess, yeah. Maybe I'm being a little skeptical, but that's why I think it's... That's why he says it's one movie. <laughs> Do you guys think that's that's actually going to happen? Like, he's going to make another movie and then retire? I mean, I, I, I just admitted how skeptical retire, I am. Retire, retire. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. He He's kind of a, a weird guy about the credit written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. Like, yes. uh, Pulp Fiction, there's actually some kind of shady stuff going on with the the screenplay credit because like roger avery wrote like half of the stories in pulp mm-hmm. fiction and so like theoretically it should be we'll, we'll get into this later actually but th- th- just know that like the the way you credit a screenplay per the rules of the wga it kind of got a little fuzzy such that he wouldn't have been able to say written and directed by quentin tarantino so they kind of had right. to fudge it a little bit and kind of screw roger avery over a little bit such that he could say written and directed by Quentin Tarantino. So to your point, Hugo, I think he may continue to make movies, just they won't be written and directed by Quentin Tarantino and only have 10 of those, maybe. Right. But I, but I, at the same time, I can't see him wanting to make a movie that he hasn't written because so much of his directorial style is on the paper. Like his dialogue is iconic. You can recognize his dialogue because of the way it's written, not necessarily just because of the way it's directed. But he's also written movies that were directed by Tony Scott and directed by Oliver yeah. Stone. You know? Right. So. And, But you can tell he wrote them. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we're doing Kill Bill as one movie. Uh, that's why yes. our list goes up to nine. <laughs> yes. Uh, so number nine for me is Death Proof. And for me as well. Correct. So we're all I haven't seen so we're going to talk about it now. So. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, the movie's fun enough. It's a, it's, it's a little simplistic, and uh, uh, for me, the purposeful editing mistakes. You know what I mean? Like editing mistakes in, in the movie, where yes. like you see a, a line is repeated just right, you know, immediately from a different shot. Uh, I, I didn't think that he used those often enough to make it thematic. It was just often enough to take me out of the movie every time it happened. So, <laughs> so I yes, have, I, I think yeah, I think Death Proof is just it's such a specific passion project for him, um, but it's just him and a very small audience that really care about those seventies grindhouse movies, and he wanted to replicate that in every way possible and so 
it makes it a bit difficult to get into for a modern audience. Like, it's fine. It's a fun movie. The performances are over the top. Kurt Russell is, you know, he's chewing the scenery and it's great. But at the end of the day, yeah. it, it sort of leaves you with not much. Fantastic car chase. So I, <laughs> I, I haven't seen this movie, but just you guys talking about it makes me really want to watch it right now because it sounds like something I might actually really enjoy. It's fun. Like I, I, I didn't dislike the movie by any means, but it's, it's just, well, you know, there's. No, I, not I a also whole lot love of meta shit. And it sounds well. It sounds like it has a lot of meta shit. Yes, and I, I eat that shit up. So it's probably oh, that's probably up my alley. It, I should. It has you know the the weird theories about well, not, it's not a theory. It's something that he actually does that Tarantino movies are set in in one world, and so there's there's the TV world within the Tarantino universe, and there's the outside world within the Tarantino universe, and it whenever you could you because you they go to Big Kahuna Burger, which is a fake brand mm. that he invented. And that is in quite a few of his movies, and mm-hmm. and, and so the, the movie is sort of self-referential in a in a fun way. I think it's a movie that Tarantino fans will enjoy, but at the end of the day, it's a very simple little story. It has really cool car stunts and car chases, but right. other than that, it's sort of you know, it's whatever. It's fine. Okay, well, so I'm, gonna, movie, I'm gonna update our lists real quick here on on here uh, since we all agree. <laughs> Death Proof. So should I go next? Everyone's number nine. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, your number nine is Death Hugo, Proof, what's your number right? eight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So do we want to start uh, from you again? No, no, we'll go, we, we can go to you. Let's, I, let's, let's shift. Yeah, what's your number eight, Hugo? My uh, number eight is sort of a controversial one, I think, and is Reservoir Dogs. Wow. Do you guys have it higher? Okay. I, I do, in We're fact, We're going to talk about this one later. So, yeah, <laughs> okay, let's... Okay, so we'll just skip for that one. That, I'll be me. interested to hear why that's Two only number eight when we talk about it. Okay. Yep. yep. Give me just one moment. Um, I have to update the. Uh, the, the well, it's here. Josh's turn anyway. Yeah. Well, I'll give I'll give Grizz a second to update. Okay. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> What's your number? Eight? I, so I have a list written. I have a list written out, and now that I'm looking at it, I'm kind of I'm going to call a little bit of an audible, and I'm going to say my number eight is Django Unchained. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna need to talk about Django a bit later. <laughs> that okay. is, I figured yeah. I figured as much. I figured as much. Okay, right, so let me let let's me put, move on to Grizz's number eight then. Let me put your number eight on the list here. Number eight for Josh. Django, Django and... Unchained. Wow, wow. <laughs> All right, I'm excited. This is gonna be a good discussion. Yeah. So, and I think we're gonna have to punt on the conversation here as well. For, for... absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> because my number eight is Kill Bill. Oh, you guys, you guys, are... what's happening? What is happening so right now? Do you now? have that? Do you have that pretty significantly high, Hugo? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Then yeah. we'll then we'll save it because it's. It is. Quite I would be fine talking about that now, even though I have that higher than eight. But that's fine. No. Uh, okay. Well, basically, if it's more, if you have it more than two higher than where we're at now, then yeah. we, can, we can save it. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I think we are we? Save it. So so we'll eventually talk about one of these movies. <laughs> so are we going <laughs> yeah. To seven? Okay. So, but it's going to make for an interesting Hugo. list because we apparently have yeah. different opinions. Okay, Hugo. So Hugo number seven is that What's where we're at? Number seven. Yeah. My number seven is the Hateful Eight. That's also okay. my number seven. It is also my number seven. We did it, guys. All right. Okay, cool. so we agree on one of them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we finally agree on one of the movies. That's good. So go ahead. Start okay. telling us your thoughts on the Hateful seven, Eight. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I debated putting this higher because I will say, starting from number eight on, these are all movies I love. Tarantino is one of my favorite directors. I enjoy them all. Uh, it's just I had to make a list, so some of them had to go lower. Um, the Hateful Eight is so. So I you think, don't. So you don't love Reservoir Dogs. Is I do love Reservoir saying. Dogs from number eight, okay, except from okay. number eight on. Sorry. It's just death. It's just okay, death sorry. Proof that I don't sorry. love as okay. much. Okay. okay. Um, sorry. But go ahead. The Hateful Eight. I went to see it in the cinema with my cousin in London, and we were just roaring in laughter. We we enjoyed it so much. It's it's such a fun, gory movie. Um, but what I think compared to other Tarantino movies is that it is really long and it, it's not as rewatchable. Once you've seen it once and you know where it's going, um, you do see the cracks in, in the story because it takes a long time for it to get going. It drags that being said, in some parts pretty significantly. It is. It's a long movie. It's a really long movie, but Samuel L. Jackson in it, just like in every other Tarantino movie, he's so good. I think he should have been nominated for something. I, I absolutely love him in the film. The music is the amazing, is but it's 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 Ennio Morricone again. Uh, he keeps popping up in this in these discussions, it's, but he's he's his lone Oscar and, win, mm-hmm. which is insane. But regardless of that, I'm glad that he got to do a, a sort of a big high profile movie now, and he got that Oscar win because. The idea that he 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 would never have gotten one in his life is quite depressing for me, mm-hmm. uh, you know. As an Italian, I think, good, I think the hateful know. eight, right? I think the hateful eight is kind of Tarantino maybe leaning into his worst impulses in some sense. Just like his his his, you know, it is just a very talky movie, all taking place in one location. So the fact that like they can't cut to other storylines, other locations, mm-hmm. he really does have to rely pretty much entirely on his characters, just like talking to each other. And that yes. can kind of get a little indulgent at times, and that's why the movie may drag sometimes. Um, it is on this side of that, but right, but it's also very compelling. The fact that he can keep almost a nearly three-hour movie in one location is extremely compelling to me. And like, like you guys said, yeah. like the first time you watch it and you don't know what's going on, it is very tense and very, very you're, interesting. You're but like once on you the edge of the seat because you once want to you find know out what this mystery is going to be. Yes, and a. And I think it's a good, like, twist, if you want to call it that. Like, what is mm-hmm. actually going on once you learn what that is? Like, it's great. Like, I, I, I enjoy this movie. Like, I originally had this at number eight, and then I switched it with Django. Um, just because, I don't know. It's maybe... I feel like a lot of people have this low on their list, but I think it's actually... It's really good. Yeah, so, and as I said, it's quite low on mine, but I really love it anyway. So. I, 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 again, Go enjoyed ahead, Hateful Eight a Go lot. Uh, I am a sucker for movies that take place in one location. Uh, sure, like me too. One, uh, a classic that I hope that if you haven't watched it, you'll get it, you'll, you'll watch it soon, uh, or something we can watch together. Uh, uh, 12 Angry Men is mm. one of my favorite movies, and it all takes place in you know the, the jury deliberation of, of a courtroom. Yeah. I, I think it's really a hard thing to do to make a movie... It, that interesting while all taking place in one place. So you, you really do have to rely on characters for that. And Quentin Tarantino does deliver on some really solid characters. My, the reason that this movie drops for me is uh, a couple of things that like, like we said before, it drags in parts, 
But honestly, the biggest complaint I have about this movie is the introduction of a narrator uh, well into the movie. Oh, yeah. Like two hours in. Yes. They don't have a narrator for the first three chapters of the movie. And then, and then suddenly they introduce a narrator and it came out of nowhere. And I, in, in theater, I, and it's Tarantino. what, what (laughs) I, I, and it's Tarantino's Tarantino's voice. So So talking about indulgent, (laughs) but to be fair, that, that is him. That is him. He doesn't care about rules. He doesn't care how long a scene goes. He doesn't care how long a movie is. He doesn't care about film structure. He just does his thing. And sometimes it works better, and sometimes it doesn't work quite as well. For me, in this case, the introduction of the the introduction of the narrator to me made it feel like maybe he didn't get the shot he needed on something, and so he felt he needed to explain something away. But I think Mm. that he did get the shots he needed and didn't need to explain anything. So the narrator felt superfluous to me. Mm. I I understand that complaint, and I disagree because I think it's awesome. (laughs) <laughs> because the way the, the way that it's employed is it is showing you something you've already seen, but showing you an extra detail, and then like talking about why the next twenty minutes are going to be incredibly tense. It's just like yeah. setting up chess pieces for you. Yeah, and and, and, and I guess uh, I'll never does... get to know if I would have felt that tense without the narration because the narration is there. My mm, my thought right. is that I I was going to pick up on that tension. I think I would have picked up on the tension even without a narrator. And that's why I think it would have been better without it. But that, yeah. He, he know, does this again in... Sorry. He does this again in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because um, Kurt Russell is narration that he's not really throughout the movie, but just like a couple of spots basically to set up the third act, like in this movie. Well, not the third act, but, you know, setting up a, a tension set piece. Right. Just deploy yep. a narrator in just to, like, explain why this is going to be tense. And in this movie, another interesting thing about the narration is that in... Because in, the movie was released... Uh, with this, you know, throwback road show in 70 millimeter that he did. And in that version of the movie, which is like 20 minutes longer, there's an intermission. And after the intermission, it reopens with the narration. So in that way, it, it, yeah, it that, does that feel yeah. theatrical. It, it's sort of, I think that's the reason, the main reason why he chose to put it in other than building tension. But I understand that in the regular version, it does feel a bit jarring it just sort of comes out of nowhere yeah well okay so that's but still that's the hateful eight we all agreed number seven for various different reasons <laughs> yeah but like i said still a good movie uh who's going next are we gonna go back to me since we all I'll have three up right now or do you want to do josh we'll do josh i'll go me uh my number six is uh oh it's jackie brown which we've already talked about and my number six is jackie brown as well uh, right. Mine's mine's higher, but I'm okay, okay with talking about it now. We've already talked about it a lot. Well, we, I mean, we've well, talked about it. Like, I think know. that it, it, this most recent rewatch, it kind of is. It, it rises my esteem every time I watch it, and it's interesting that like um, I first saw this, I think around like when I was 22 or 23, around when Django and Chain came out. And when Django and Chain came out, I loved Django and thought Jackie Brown was like kind of just okay. And then this past week, I rewatched both movies, and like I don't really think that highly of Django anymore. That's why it's my number eight. And like Jackie Brown, I like a lot more. So maybe just like the less in your face, more subdued, less comic booky 
story is starting to appeal to me as I am now an old man as opposed to when I was in my early 20s. <laughs> I think for the reasons you're saying that you liked Jackie Brown better this time are the reasons I like Jackie Brown better, but clearly I like it more better. <laughs> <laughs> Hugo, why, yeah, why is Jackie I, Brown number six for you? Jackie Brown is number six just because I like the, the rest of the movies better. I think it's fantastic and I... As it, by itself, I think it's a, an amazing film. It, it's number six just because I like Tarantino so much that uh, the films that re- sort of reflect, reflect his style more are the ones that get more points for me. But that makes I still, sense, yeah. I still think it's a fantastic movie. I still, I think Pam Grier is amazing, and I'm sad that she didn't get to be in more things because I think she's fantastic. Right. Uh, it was a great. Real quick, movie. we talk about how. We want to talk about the Pam Greer Tarantino Reservoir Dogs thing, or do you want to save that for Reservoir Dogs? You can. We can we, save it for. Reservoir we can save it for Reservoir Dogs. Okay. I, sure. I imagine we'll, we'll be getting to that pretty soon here. <laughs> um, well, so should I go ahead and say where I have Jackie Brown, or just no? Let's on. wait. Let's wait. Right. Just well, go for your number six. Yeah, so my number six is Pulp Fiction. Uh, and uh no. <laughs> don't say no we're we're done here let's let's end the podcast thanks for listening everybody <laughs> fine yeah we'll talk about it later <laughs> yeah that, that'll come up later i think okay yeah pretty sure pretty sure no i'm joking obviously i'm i'm fl- i can't remember like i can't see the screen that you have up right now grace so i don't know what what you've listed so far but i'm flabbergasted that you have five movies ahead of this well so basically yeah. just to touch on it real quick because i won't go into all the details uh, like hugo after <laughs> honestly after hateful eight all of these movies are fantastic and so then yeah, it just absolutely. it's kind of just coming down to preferences and i have some things that me as 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 who i am would have le- i'm less inclined to love pulp fiction than a lot of people that does not by any means mean that i think pulp fiction is a bad movie i think pulp fiction is very very good and i i won't i'm sure i won't disagree with anything you guys have to say about it for why it's higher for you later i just like the other remaining movies better that's totally fair i was just kidding (laughs) to to reiterate a point i made earlier i think a lot of this depends on like when in life you saw a given movie and yeah that kind of that kind of will determine how many times you've seen it. For example, like I mm-hmm. I discovered Pulp Fiction when I was like seventeen. And I've watched it a thousand times in the last however many years, and like less the case for his other movies. Yeah, yeah. But I think at the end we can we can talk about you know we can give an overall uh, view of how we experience these movies and see if that you know factors into the way we we and how we like them and why we like one more than the other. But when we right. Um, is it my turn? Yes, Hugo. What is your number, number six? Five? Hugo, number six. No, six was oh, wait, for Jackie Brown six? for Hugo. Already, yeah, yeah. Six is Jackie Brown. Number five is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the most recent one. Okay, where do you guys have that one? I have it a, a few spots ahead of you here. A yep. few spots. Okay. Ahead of you. We can talk about it now. I have it. I have it at number three. That uh, I I have it number as my number two. Three. Do you wow, want to save number that, two. or do you want to talk about it now? Let's save it. If it if it's your number two, let's save it. Yeah, I think we should save it and get to it. Yeah, if it's if it's if it's in two of our top it's, threes, then let's. Yeah, you know. it's quite high, so we can talk about it later. Okay. Okay. So, uh, one, two, so three, on you go, Josh, number five. 
My number five is Kill Bill. Okay. Kill Bill. Volumes one it. and two. Yes. What about you? Chris? You have it higher? Significantly uh, yeah, higher? I mean, I, I already had Kill Bill at eight, so. Oh, you already had Kill Bill. Well, <laughs> um, Kill Bill is my number four, so I think we can talk we about can talk it. We can talk about it. Okay, let's now. talk about it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So hang on. Uh, well, let's, uh, let's ask let's ask Hugo because it's it's highest on his list. Anybody else? So I want to hear your opinion first. Kill Bill is my number four, and it's Josh's number five. You said. Mm-hmm. Yep, five J and six from me. Okay. Um, well, I'll, I'll go. Yeah, go ahead. You can start if you want, since you're the one who brought it up first. Why is it your number five? I'll vamp a bit. Yeah, uh, I think I it's... brought it up first. Yeah, that's true, but I mean, in, in this little bit. Okay, uh, that's a good point. Grizz, you start. Why is it your number eight? How? Okay, so I know this is a hot take, for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's not bad. It's not a bad movie. Again, I, I don't really think any of these movies are bad movies. Uh, it just fails to connect with me in most of the ways that it ought to. I love mm-hmm. samurai movies. I love kung fu movies. Uh, right. I felt that Kill Bill falls short in the samurai aspects, the kung fu aspects uh, of, of hitting the mark. The, it's cool, cool to have the homage, but I, I think it doesn't quite capture the essence of those movies for me. So in that way, it, it just falls a little short. I also think gratuitous violence is, a, is obviously a common thread for Tarantino movies, but I like it better when it serves a purpose and or, or like it it offers an impactful like a feeling for why mm-hmm. i should be okay with this particular act of gratuitous violence uh like you know we'll get into it more with other movies but the django unchained and uh uh inglorious bastards those movies are very very violent but the violence in that feels meaningful to you, me that it doesn't yeah, you feel like it has it. more of a purpose that, that makes sense that makes sense uh i i think kill bill tried to do too much is basically what it comes down to for me it was trying to play play homage pay homage to too many different varieties of things and and it kind of ends up being all flash and less substance for me action is insane right. so i will it's say great that- but right. that, that's that's why for me it doesn't it doesn't register as, as one of the best for Tarantino. I, I will say it was maybe a little bold of me to put this at number five because it is like probably the one the movie I've seen the least amount of times on this list and the one that I've seen like the longest ago. So maybe I'm kind of just right. like going off like what my memory of Kill Bill was, but I remember it being extremely exciting and for a you know, four plus hour movie it's hard to be exciting and engaging for that long. And I kind of like that it's like, I, I like movies where it just seems so insurmountable for the character to do what they have to do, and then yeah. they do it. Like, the fact yeah. that this character has to fight through, like, four, is it four crazy assassins or however yeah. many assassins? And uh, a team of 88 people, and then, you know, the task at hand is kill Bill, and there's so much standing between her and Bill, you just think it's going to be impossible, and she starts the movie paralyzed, more or less, so, like, how the f- how the f is she gonna do this and then she does it and uh i that's i don't know that's satisfying to me and i think it's it's engaging for four hours long it's exciting and it's satisfying and 
that's why I give it uh, a lot of props. Actually, I, I wanted to right. touch on one other thing before uh, Hugo gets into why uh, he, he has it yeah, at, at number four. I think the other part that, that falls short of the mark for me is actually with Uma Thurman, not as her performance of the character, but in terms of her performance in action. I It just never quite felt believable for, for me, for Uma Thurman to be the action hero of, of this movie. I think sometimes right. her movements are a little clunky or slow, uh, certainly by comparison to the professional stunt people around her, and that mm. takes me out of it just a little bit uh, in those scenes. Right. So, okay, first of all, I have it at number four because I... I've experienced it my whole life as two separate movies. And I think Kill Bill Volume 1, regardless of Tarantino's just, you know, thinking of them as one movie, Kill Bill Volume 1 would be my number three, probably. Even two, possibly. That's one of the films that I grew up with. (laughs) Which sounds a bit insane, but, you know, I, I saw this film when I was 10 years old, and I've kept watching it all the time I, i've seen that movie so many times i recognize every music if i hear the music i can picture the scene and sort of i i watched that movie i watched that movie the first time with my dad because it it was a difficult time my, my parents had just split up and he he was basically uh, you know the single parent who only saw me on weekends and we were like fuck it we don't care we're just gonna watch crazy films and we watched the matrix and we watched uh kill bill and a whole bunch of action movies and uh, to me that movie has a special place in my heart and i and it just it's very difficult for me to see it as a film separate from the attachment that i have to it from the fact that i've seen it so many times and it's so exciting for me every single time i love the music i love the action set pieces i i love the way that it's structured. I love how bold the colors are. I think Uma Thurman is so good because she manages to make this character who is completely impossible. He, she like it's it's basically anime if you think about it, but she makes her character so believable. Um, she goes through so many emotions that feel human, even though it she's so superhuman. And whenever the heightened action begins. It not only is, I think, is it really exciting, but it also sort of, uh, it, it's such an homage to old B-movies where you have this bright red blood and uh, impossible things happening on screen. I don't know if you guys have seen Lady Snowblood. Not yet. It's one of the, nope. it's one of the main inspirations of its movies. And if you see it, it you can tell, it, it, you know, it's there are a huge amount of similarities um i i love it growing up i i came to love it as a feminist tale um I, you know there, there's so much about it that i just love to death and the second part i like a little bit less because i think the film climaxes in the middle which is the oren ishii fight and the the 88 falls and after that it never quite recaptures that that momentum that you know tension uh, even though there's some really great sequences in part two, like when she gets buried alive or the the, 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 the fighting scenes with Pai Mei when she's training. Um, but at the same time, it, it never quite recaptures that energy that it had in the first part. So that's why it's a little lower for me. But volume one is like one of my top like 15 movies of all the time. I 
love that movie. 